seminarians and long-distance camel riders. Put some tree sap in a box. Make sure that rubber cigar isn't explosive. And my god, Melchior, what did you eat? You know you can't have goat's milk after 9 p.m. That was the camel, I swear. It's time to talk to Ultimate. <laughs> yeah, they're always blaming on the camel. Blaming on, that's, that's why people ride camels. That scapegoat. Scape camel. Scape camel. Welcome back. I am Omen Thomas Sage. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Peckless Moans. And this, my friends, is Talk Tall to Me. A musical pilgrimage of biblical proportions across the burning deserts of Prog Rock, in which Nebuchadnezzar Nick and Onanist Omen will bring our <laughs> simple gifts to each and every shining swaddled song to which, fleeing for their lives, rock band Jethro Tull has ever given virgin birth. We will perform Martin Barr baptisms, preach far and wide the Giddings Gospel, starch the white robes of the Doan Perry postulant, and closely monitor Jonathan Noyce as he brings the lit candle from the narthex to the nave. And by following that electric star, by night and by day, we will seek to understand the ultimate wisdom of the acolyte who gets it right, the one-legged Lenten liturgist, the Scottish subdeacon, Ian, my frankincense is on fire, Anderson. You've outdone yourself. I, that's, and that's a sin. <laughs> Everybody knows what the sin of Onan is, but what is the sin of Omen? <laughs> it's multifaceted. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I remember introducing myself to somebody once, and they obviously were very familiar with the Bible, and I said, my name is Omen, and they said, Onan? <laughs> Who would name their child that? Sorry, watch your shoes. I'm about to commit a sin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nick, uh, welcome back. Omen, hello, hello. It is the wrap-up of the Yuletide season here on the podcast for 2022. That is correct. In fact, this is the last track before the new year, I believe. Let me confirm that. Yes, this is the last track before the new year. We are two days after the birth of Christ. He is two days old. We can celebrate that more. Unless you're Orthodox. Unless you're Orthodox, in which case... Wait a minute. Don't? <laughs> yeah, we are wrapping up the Christmas album. We are on tracks 13 and 16. And those are? Those are We Five Kings mm -hmm. and A Winter Snowscape. Well, without much ado, let's get in there. Let's funk it up to We Five Kings to begin. Oh, boy. Nick, there we have we five kings. Funktastic omen. How lovely. It's really fun, isn't it? It was. It was. Very jazzy, very swingy. I like it. You know, we're kind of wrapping up this album as well. So, you know, I, I think it's worth mentioning that one of the dangers of putting out a Christmas album and of Christmas music in general is that we've heard it all 50 million times before. Yeah. Do you know that Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas has over a trillion streams on Spotify? I I can't imagine why. 
it, it has been played more times than there are human beings alive on this earth. I believe it. I don't know why, but I believe it. The amazing hoop that Tull has jumped through with this album is creating an album of, of real Christmas music that doesn't stick in the back of your throat like some kind of horrible caramel raspberry pip. <laughs> yeah, I think I think one of the dangers of the the Christmas album, aside from the fact that everybody's heard all these songs before, is that if you try to create your own original Christmas stuff, does it really feel like a Christmas song? I mean, you're going to hear it once and never really remember it ever again. But in the the originals in here, they they work. They work. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're very good. You know, do we hear them blasted at the mall day in and day out? If only. We should. We should. We should. But Mariah, Omen, hashtag Mariah. Hashtag Mariah. This song in particular is fascinating because it is one of the songs on this album, one of the pieces on this album, rather, that takes a traditional tune that we are familiar with and funks it up, jazzes it up. Oh, yeah. It's very swung. It's swung. It's hung. It's bung. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, I want to talk to you about the very, very intro, the very, very first thing that we hear. Okay. Where have you heard that little rhythmic gesture before in the tall catalog? Oh my goodness. I think back to a song that was requested by Terry Ellis in order to provide a radio hit. And succeeded. Yeah, living in the past. Wow. And do you know why it has that same rhythmic gesture at the very beginning? Take away the bass line. It's the same time signature? It is the same time signature. I've never been more proud of you, Nick. <laughs> I was half of that song. I was like, uh, one, two, three, four, one, two. <laughs> I was panicking. I was trying so hard. It's in the title. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a little clue in there for you. Yeah, it was funky. I, I can't just immediately wrap my mind around a weird time signature, so it just, it all sounds foreign. Yeah, no, no, it's tough, but it is it is the same time signature, same little woodblock riff there at the beginning and I think it's a I think it's a specific reference to that song. I mean it's it's hmm. it's a little too co- coincidental for me to not be. Yeah, Ian doesn't generally recycle. No, <laughs> in such a a distinct manner anyway. Yeah, and of course the baseline is different. You know, in in Living in the Past we have that very distinct Yeah. Here we have something else. Mhm. Still very prominent. The The bass in here is is solid. Very good. Jonathan Noyce is rocking the hell out of the bass. The funny thing with We Three Kings is that the original is in 3-4. Well. 1-2-3-1-2-3-1-2-3-1-2-3-1-2-3-1-2-3-1-2-3-1-2-3-1-2-3-1-2-3-1-2-3-1-2-3. So they waltzed to the manger. They waltzed all across the desert. It was waltzing camels. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. So on this album, we have, we talked a little bit about this last time, but we have so many examples of Tull 
taking a song that we know and putting it in a different time signature. That mm. is not easy to do. You know, it's very it's very almost cliche to take to have a jazz band come and play Christmas music. But rarely do they put it into an entirely new key signature because it's too much work. Why would you do it? Yeah. But I, I wouldn't expect them to just, meh, let's just cover this, you know? No. They wouldn't do that. Ian wouldn't do that. Absolutely not. No, he wouldn't permit it to happen. Speaking of Ian, we have acoustic guitar played by the fabulous Martin Barr and really, really chopping it up. Really, really fun stuff. About 1.15, we have pianist Andy Giddings giving us a, a delightful solo on the piano. He immediately then switches to organ. Mm-hmm. And about five, six seconds later, switches to the the accordion at about 145. The accordion comes in earlier too. Yes, it does. Before that, we got that amazing accordion. I'm a sucker for that. But we go from at about 45 seconds, we go into that flamenco-style again acoustic that we've been hearing. That we talked, what, two episodes ago. Both of those those instrumentals had a, a flamenco feel to them as well. And let's put a pin in that because that factors into kind of the history behind the original song a little bit. Mm. 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 We sound like Skeksis. Yeah, I know. Um, so yeah, then we have the accordion solo, which is absolutely fantastic. And at the very end, we've got that piano crescendo with the flute up into the end. Yes. And it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds and it stops. Uh Uh-huh. It transitions perfectly into the revamped solstice bells that is the following track. That's, yeah, that's great. I love thinking about that in context. Mm-hmm. It also ends on an unresolved note, the end of the song proper. Right, which really, really makes you want that next song. It really gives you that closure mm-hmm. with the start of that next song. Yes. Ah, oh, that's so clever. Yeah. Lest we forget Jonathan Noyce, at about two minutes into the song, we have a rare bass solo. Oh, yeah. pretty fabulous. Yeah. He seems a little little shy, like you're watching him play through a shower curtain. <laughs> Is he nude? I didn't say that. He can be. <laughs> if in your imagination he's nude, that's so be it. So be it, you sicko. <laughs> you based, based fancier. It's my base desires. G- ah. mm-hmm. So sorry. 
So let's talk a little bit about We Three Kings, the hymn or the song. Yes. Yes. I think that is that is some good information to discuss. The history of this song is distinctly American. Yes, I did not know that. That's really fascinating. So, of course, the idea of the song is biblical. It goes back to Matthew 2.1 with some other references in Hebrews, I think. They're kind of predictions of what will happen when the when the Savior comes. Mm. But it is it is referential to the quest of the Magi, some people call it, or the, the kings of the Orient who come across from various places, including Arabia, Africa, and the other guy. And they come to meet Baby J <laughs> and give him presents. And that was, you know, the first, that's where the, the idea of Christmas presents comes along. Okay, yes, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, yeah. Kind of dope presents, really. And these were not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No. These were Melchior, Balthazar, and... Gaspard. I never, I never, I never knew that one, so I couldn't remember it. However, those names are not directly from the Bible. Ooh. It is a supposition based on history and tradition that those are the names of the kings based on where you can extrapolate that they may have been from with evidence in the Bible, and then basing that off of uh, historical things. Interesting. Okay. Who are Meshach, Beshach, and Regendigo? <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did they go in the fire? Were they the ones who went in the fire? Yeah, they're the oven one, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Love them. Love their work. Love their work. <laughs> in 1857, John Henry Hopkins Jr., who was... Rector at the Christ Episcopal Church in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, now famous for being the site of the Little League Baseball Hall of Fame. Naturally. Penned this tune and wrote the lyrics to it, which was unusual. Most people of that time either wrote the lyrics or did the music, but he did both. And it is said that it has a it has references to Middle Age and Middle Eastern music, the way that the key works and the format of the tune, which is why it has that kind of like you said, flamenco feel. Mm -hmm. That's kind of that Middle Eastern vibe coming through. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I see that. Definitely. It's kind of refreshing. A refreshing sound for all of those standard carols. It's got a darkness to it that's really nice. It has a darkness to it, yes, which is nice because it. in the modern age, we get a bit obsessed with the, the sugary, sweet Christmas. Yeah. But it's important to remember that, you know, for those experiencing the first Christmas, it was a pretty dark time. There was all the, the slaughter going on. The economy of the area was not in great shape. Was it Herod? Herod was Herod, doing all yeah. that slaughtering? He was doing so much slaughtering. Yeah. 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 Slavery. General bad, bad stuff all around. Anyone curious about the Episcopal Church? It was basically the American version of the Anglican Church, which was the English version of the Catholic Church. <laughs> so it all boils down to the same thing in the stockpot, basically. The thing that I appreciate about the Episcopalians is that they've retained some of that ritual— Mm. And so it's it has a little bit of that sense of like formality and and fun props, <laughs> good music. We went to an Episcopal church briefly in New York City, and it was actually great because they were remodeling the actual church. Oh, yeah. They were doing a, a huge thing at the actual church. And so the services were being held in a construction trailer on the street in, in northern Manhattan. I think we discussed this the last time we did the Christmas tracks. I think so. It sounds very familiar. It had a big effect on me because it was just a construction trailer with some folding chairs. And then the priest was all, you know, duded up in his kit. 
and had the bits and bobs and was doing the whole thing. But it felt very focused. It was like, oh, yeah, this is like closer to the original Christianity when they just would get together in people's houses and talk about talk about their feelings. Yeah. Feelings for God. Right. Absolutely. You wouldn't talk about any other feelings. Nick, did you ever sing in a church choir or anything like that? Oddly enough, no, I was never in the church choir. I was an altar boy, and I sang in the school choir. But no, I, I never sang in the, the church choir for some reason. Have you ever sung this song? Yeah, yeah. My hometown of Wheatsport, New York, would have a, a Christmas festival on the streets of Wheatsport every year, and for chorus, we would go caroling. Right, yeah. right, right, right. So we sang all of the classics. You may have also sung this at the Skinny Atlas Dickens Street Festival. I was thinking about that, but I don't think we ever really did this song. It would have been very much in the time. It would have been a new song in the late 1850s or early 1860s. The newest pop hit. (laughs) Henry Hopkins Jr. just dropped a banger. Three-part harmony. Here we go. Tune into your... They didn't have radios. Tune into your... They did not have radios. Tune into your your pamphlets? Tune into your pamphlets, yeah. Yeah, okay, there we go. Tune into the Wells Fargo wagon. There you go. It's a coming. It's worth mentioning, Nick, that there are also several parody versions to the lyrics of this song. Okay, exciting. We three kings of Orient are one in a taxi, one in a car, <laughs> one on a scooter, beeping his hooter, smoking a fat cigar. You may have heard of that one. I've heard We Three Kings of Orient are chewing on a rubber cigar, I think. Okay, yeah. I don't know how the rest of it goes. It was loaded. Oh, yeah, and exploded. That's how we traveled so far. That's it. Yeah, here you go. There's also a chorus. Oh, star of wonder, star of might, fill your pants with dynamite. (laughs) Let the fuse and off we go round the world to Mexico. Wow. Mexico, New York obviously. Mm, that's, yeah, yeah, strange that that is such a specific reference. <laughs> Anything else to say about We Five Kings, Nick? The five is obviously a reference to all of the players of Tull at this time. Oh, oh my god, you know, that is obvious, but I really missed that. Wow, seriously? Yeah, I did not think of that at all. Baffling. Absolutely <laughs> baffling. Well, I was thinking about the time signature. <laughs> I mean, it's convenient. It can, it's convenient. I mean, maybe... It works both ways. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was kind of backronymed that they decided we five kings because it's the five of us, so I'll make it in the five the five time, five four. Wow. Sure. Maybe. We five kings. Yeah, I mean, who knows how it happened, but that's I love that observation that you made. It was so obvious that I couldn't see it. I love that you could not make that observation. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Completely opaque to me. Nick, what is next on our Yuletide listening schedule here? Next up is the last track off of the album itself, and the last track that we will discuss off of the Christmas album. Ever? Ever. We're done with the Christmas album. What are we going to do next uh, Next Yuletide? I don't know. We'll think of something, I guess. Okay. <laughs> we'll wear Santa hats while we record, I suppose. We'll talk about Mariah Carey. We'll talk about Mariah Carey. All I want for Christmas is tall. <laughs> but for now, <laughs> for now, we're going to talk winter snowscape. Ooh. Ooh. Let's put on our hats and have a listen. Chilly. Chilly. 
wipe the ice off my face, Nick. That was a winter snowscape. I just, I want to end up like Jack at the end of The Shining, just in the maze, frozen, with that song playing. That's the end that I desire. <laughs> you want to be an icy meat topiary. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a respectable goal, and I think you can achieve it, if anyone can. Thank you for your support. <laughs> You're welcome. You've always supported me in my endeavors. So, Nick, this is a fascinating song because it is a rare Martin Barr credit on a Jethro Tull album. Bananas! Yeah. So crazy. All kinds of tropical fruit. Yeah. Mango. Hot mango flush. Well, and interestingly... Yeah? This album, the Christmas album, came out in 2003. Yeah? We saw them around that time. Yeah? And I recall seeing that Martin Barr, you know, in the in the gift shop at the gift tent area where you could buy t-shirts and, and bandanas and cassette tapes and CDs, probably not cassette tapes, they were selling, in addition to a number of Jethro Tull albums, they were also selling Stage Left, the Martin Barr album. Mm. Exeunt Stage Left, pursued by Martin Barr. Pursued by Barr! Oh, perfect. It's perfect. This song is also featured on Stage Left. Oh, interesting. But a slightly different recording of it. Oh, my goodness. Whereas the Jethro Tull version of course, obviously, is really a duet piece between Martin's guitar skills and Ian's flute, mm-hmm. and it melts our hearts. It does. It does that. It causes climate change in our hearts. <laughs> the climate of my heart is changed. It's changing. The Martin Barr stage left version is a duet between Martin and himself, playing on the guitar both of those mm. melodic and harmonic lines. For clarification, stage left was a reference to Martin's position on stage with Tull at all times. He's always on stage left. Right. Absolutely. Uh Yeah, I love that. Fun little factoid about this song. Yesterday, we recorded First Snow on Brooklyn. I came upstairs from the studio, and it was snowing. It was the first snow of Marietta, New York. Wow. Woke up this morning. We had snow on the ground. Not completely covered, but it clearly put me in a, a wintry mood. I put on the Christmas instrumental mix on Spotify, like just a Spotify playlist. Uh-huh. This song is on that playlist. What? Really? I was shocked. Shocked. It's like number three or four on there. Yeah. Wow. Made it big time. That's it. You finally made it, Ian. You finally made it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow, that's great. Yeah. Don't play Summer Day Sands or there'll be a huge flood. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. In your basement. Well done. Yeah, flood your basement. This song has such a mysterious sound to me. It's very fey, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Break down for me what what are the elements of the song that make you feel that way? The multiple, not fully lined up layers of acoustic. Uh-huh. The echoey... Also multiple layers of flute mm-hmm. going in and out and weaving, like ebbing and flowing. Yeah. And minor key, yes? 
Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, although the key changes several times, I was. Yeah. I, I noted that it's it's sort of like wandering, lost in a forest of key changes. Yeah, that feels right. Yeah, so it's all of that kind of encompasses and and a lot like it's similar in a sense to First Snow on Brooklyn because you've got the lyrics and then the music and it gives you this image, this concrete image. Even though this one doesn't have lyrics, it paints such a vivid picture for me. Yeah. You know, I suspect that even if even if the title wasn't A Winter Snowscape, we would still imagine for ourselves some some very beautiful and taut natural environment and that is filled with mystery and maybe a hint of danger. Right. Yeah, you could have put this on Songs from the Wood and I would have imagined the exact same forest, just no snow on it. You know? Yeah, or less, at least. <laughs> less snow, yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited to talk about the music, the rhythmic elements of this song, because this, on first listen, I was kind of like, eh, it's a it's a guitar-y instrumental. Cool. But because we're listening to it with a critical eye for this podcast, for the edification of, hopefully at least ourselves and perhaps someone else, I I started listening to the time signature, I trying to find the, the time signature. yeah. And while I was heating up some old curry in the microwave, I was pulling my hair out, trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Did you ever figure it out? I did. The solution is don't put the curry in for seven minutes in the microwave. <laughs> I, was, I was microwaving it in seven, eight time. <laughs> is this seven, eight? No, I thought oh, it was. Okay. I thought it was. The difficulty... Is that, and we'll, we'll break this down mathematically in a second here, but the difficulty is that it is, is sort of threefold. There is a time signature, which will be revealed to you in a moment. <laughs> Brace yourselves. Everybody write it on a little post-it, stick it under your seat, wait for it, the reveal. If you win, we'll send you some cotton candy. We'll send you home. We'll send you home. Get out of here. Martin is playing triplets. Mm. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, okay. one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. But he's not playing them regularly. Sometimes he's going one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. None of that matches up at all with the time signature itself. Also, the melody isn't starting necessarily where the measure is starting. Mm. It's picking up halfway through the preceding measure. It's ending halfway through the next measure. Yeah. It's bouncing all over the place. And those musical phrases are not necessarily all the same length. And so it gives you this sense of being, like you said, lost in this wonderland. My sanity was saved by the merciful tambourine that comes in <laughs> at about 2.15 with the organ. listen to the tambourine you will discover that the song is in eight eight time or four four possibly but i i think i would it makes more sense to count it in eight mm. the difficulty is if you're counting one two three four five six seven eight one two three four five six seven eight martin is playing three notes for every two beats that you were counting so you're counting one two and he's going one two three in that same amount of time 
my face hurts. My head hurts trying to grasp that. And it just makes me, it makes me appreciate them all the more. Yeah, it's really quite complex what they're doing. It's really tough. And even more so because at the beginning of the song, there is no backbeat. Mm-hmm. There's no bass. Mm-hmm. There's no piano keeping time. It's just dunka da dunka da dunka da dunka da dunka da dunka 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 And somewhere in there, you have to go be going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three. <laughs> and probably, you know, they're good enough musicians, Ian and Martin, and they've been playing for so long that they probably have their internal metronomes on automatic. Yeah. And can do it. They have a higher level of facility than than us, who are like, get to struggling to count to 10 sometimes. <laughs> it really does just show how beautifully skillful each person is in this band as a musician and yeah. what beautiful intergranationalness they have. Does that wacky meshing of time signatures, does that by definition make this song prog? Like, is that, you know, is this an example of like, hey, this is prog rock? And I don't know the right answer. I'm not like fishing for anything. I think that's a genuine question because when I think of prog rock, my simple go-to answer is, like, funny time signatures. You know? Sure. I guess the question is also, like, is this rock? Oh, fair enough. For me, this is more like a like a modern composition. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't call it rock. And therefore, if it is a modern composition, it wouldn't be prog, right? Like, it's just a modern composition. It's sort of prog-modern post-rock. But also, I mean, labels are... I know. Labels are for the office. <laughs> labels are for the jars of things I have under my desk. Ooh. <laughs> Skittles, feces. I forgot to label them. Paper clips. <laughs> I will snack from one of these jars. <laughs> are they chocolate raisin or tear droppings? <laughs> Find out! Did you... You may have actually been exposed to this. Did you ever, as a kid, see the anime movies Unico based on the manga they were from like 81 83 there were three of them I don't think I ever did no that doesn't ring a bell they're super dark and super weird but this music reminds me I think I'm gonna have to go back and and watch them and and listen for like a music part but this this instantly transports me to those weird like dark moments in these freaking ancient animes it's not Studio Ghibli stuff is it no 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 something about this music that's very cinematic i i was sort of thinking of it as like it has like a you know when we play a zelda game the music that we hear Mm -hmm. i sort of feel like this is what that music would sound like if we were actually in the game as a character Ooh, 
I'm good with that. That's yeah. But it does feel like I mean, you know, you and I have had the experience of of walking through the woods in upstate New York, and and you do have this sense of getting lost in the patterns of the trees and the the undulation of the ground and the forms and rhythm of the plants around you. Mm-hmm. You know, you you become part of that natural world, and there is an underlying rhythm there. But it also there are also polyrhythms happening visually especially after you ate that mushroom that was behind the last tree. But it, it does give you that sense of being lost in this beautiful, mysterious, natural world that you and you almost feel like the barrier between, like you said, the fae and your world is, is thin. The magic is leaking through. Yes, the story that I see with this, the story that I paint with this... Tell me. It's a fairy tale where our protagonist goes walking in the woods and meets, like, the the ice queen of the fae. Mm. And she turns out not to be so bad after all. <laughs> Maybe he stays for sexy times. And it's all still a little scary and tentative, and you don't quite know what's going on. But it ultimately, it doesn't end well. In one way or another. Maybe you, in, you impregnate the fairy queen, and then you have... Maybe she impregnates you. She has your changeling child, or, yeah, maybe you, you're... Yeah. Yeah. You wake up with splinters and frostbite. Maybe you seahorse that birth. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Because the, yeah. the seahorses, the males give... I, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I got it. And it was a brilliant aquatic reference. That's <laughs> what I'm known for. All the marine biologists <laughs> who listen to us are just, just leaping onto a table Clapping. and shouting. <laughs> yeah. Please, sir, sit down. This is a target. <laughs> I don't see it in such a narrative light. Mm, Okay. I'll be honest. This song is, I love it. And after a certain point, I'm a little bit like, okay. Mm. You know, I can, I can definitely see that. It's just under five minutes long. Normally I'm the one to complain about repetition, but this one, I don't know. it, It hits something for me. That its continuousness does not ever get old for me. And it's not repetitive. It, it is always changing form. Yeah. I guess, for me, it's a little guitar-ish-y. For the level of adoration and praise that you have for Martin Barr and his guitar... I know, I know. Is it the acoustic aspect? Would it have been better electric for you? Like, would it have been more palatable? You know, it's just something you listen to it and you're like, oh, yeah, a guitarist to definitely compose that. <laughs> says says the son of a guitarist. <laughs> well, well yeah. I should know. Yeah. Guitarists can get a little weird about their instrument. I mean, I guess any any instrumentalist can get weird about their instrument. Yeah. We'll have to ask Claire her feelings about her flute. Yes. I mean, flautists are as weird as anyone, but. Yeah. Oh, I heard a funny thing about flutes and facial hair recently. A little tidbit. Is this separate from the the reason why Ian didn't like the saxophone? It is related. Okay, go on. So apparently, just in the way that Ian didn't like the feeling of the reed against his bebeardedness. (laughs) Bebeardedness. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, the soul patch, which is the, the little piece of hair that grows out from, you know, your just below your bottom lip. Yep is credited to have originated with jazz flautists because they didn't like the feeling of the flute against their shaved underlip. Wow. And so the soul patch apparently came into fashion because of jazz flautists growing a little protective growth there. A little bush. So they didn't have the flute just like whacked right up up against their skin. 
Just think, in an alternate universe, it's referred to as the flute shrub. A, fl- <laughs> yeah, a flute flower. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. That's very fascinating. And in fact, sometimes instrumentalists, fla- flutists or flautists, we should ask Claire, who don't grow that hair will often put a Band-Aid huh. right on that part of their lip to give a little bit of padding. You know, I didn't see a soul patch or a Band-Aid on Claire, so... Uh... Guess she's not a real flautist. Oh. Or she just has a higher pain tolerance. That's true. She has a callus there, yeah. A flute callus. Yeah. <laughs> It's like violinists. If you if you see a, a really dedicated violinist, they usually have what looks like a hickey. Oh, wow. It's because you hold the violin against your neck. Yeah. It's just a, a permanent mark. Yeah. And also because they got made out. <laughs> you, that's the most passive they got made out with. <laughs> very, very passive. I was just there. It just happened. I was made out with. Where were we? Winter snowscape. Guitar guitar it feels unnatural for me to make any critique of martin barr's genius because i I know i love i love his playing i think he's an amazing musician there's something about this song that feels to me just a little bit indulgent huh and maybe that's okay maybe we should indulge in it i don't get that at all though that's very strange i think between the many layers Mm -hmm. and the weird-ass time signatures i just can't get enough of this song let's also talk about some of the other other instruments at about 2.15, the organ comes in very gently. Yeah. At 3.20, we have a very, very subtle piano riff. I think I missed that one. When you were talking about the synth, was that the triangle tinkle? The ting ting or is Oh no, I missed okay, that. Okay, yeah, that comes in. Also very subtle. Everything that's not flute or guitar is like so far below the surface. It's really pulled back yeah, and it's gorgeous. Subdermal. And you really it's... like, you have to listen for it and you have to, and it's a, you hear a different one each time you listen to it. There's a fun thing very much toward the end. There is a sense of wind. And I don't know if it's just the built up reverb from all the other instruments, or if there is actually another sound in there, maybe created by the organ of the synth that is providing us that windscape. <laughs> very end after the music itself fades out there's this weird little percussion moment oh very very subtle and it almost does have that feeling i mean you keep saying saying the fey and i i totally agree that there is that feeling there it reminds me of in the hobbit when they're going through mirkwood and they keep seeing the elf party people Mm -hmm. the party people from the elves yeah woo Mm -hmm. Lemnes bread, yeah! <laughs> and they go toward them, and then and immediately it all vanishes, and all that's left is this kind of, like, eerie laughter in the distance. Mm. It feels a little bit like that. Yeah, 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 definitely. You 
know what I think I'm reacting to? I think that I am reacting negatively to my own sense of indulgence in music like this when I was younger. Hmm. So it was guilty pleasure back then, or not necessarily a guilty pleasure, but you used it to make yourself feel superior? Or better, at least. Yeah, it was a, definitely a form of escapism. I used to... Oh, golly. I used to... This is the most embarrassing thing I've ever admitted, I think. Oh, my gosh. Let me get the list out. Hang on. <laughs> it takes a while for the spreadsheet to load. <laughs> it's just such a big file. No, I used to have a... Um, sort of a new age inspired CD that was like 10 different versions of Pachelbel's Canon <laughs> with waves and whale sounds and shit like that. And I used to listen to this like really tarted up flu flu Pachelbel's Canon <laughs> in the morning in my room and imagine love, Nick. I would imagine love. I would imagine someday experiencing love because I was very lonely and and I had a hard time relating to my peers. Even though at that time I actually had tons of friends, but I was still, you know, I felt... No, I had tons of friends, I swear. I had tons... I was very... I was very bad. I, my birthday was always crowded. I had to turn people away. But no, I, I used to indulge in music like that and use it as a form of escape yeah. from the negative feelings that I had. And this music, this song reminds me of some of that music that I used to listen to. Lorena McKennett. I definitely get it, yeah. Yeah, so you, so you have some even subconscious preconceived notions of this and... It's sparking wires that you didn't, that you forgot existed, that you didn't know could hold that spark anymore. I have retroactive Yanni syndrome. They make therapy for that. Do you know Yanni? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, of course I know Yanni. Okay, great. Yeah, Alto. Was he Alto Sax? Kenny G was Alto Sax. What's Yanni? I think Yanni played the flute. I think he played the flute maybe. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've heard the name Yanni. Yanni's always closer than you think. (laughs) That mustache, yeah. Greek composer. Hmm. He was a multi-instrumentalist. Of course he was. So your full confession of listening to that album, that Pachelbel's Canon album, yeah, and talking about Yanni, I used to listen to, my dad had a John Tesh CD. I used to listen to the hell out of that. Who's John Tesh? He's a composer. He plays piano and he's got these really big, big, great Adult contemporary, I guess, is the, the genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just like what old people listen to. But I listened to the heck out of that. Yeah. Yana used to play at historical sites. That was his big thing. His concert live at the Acropolis was the second best-selling music concert video of all time. Wow. Yeah. Oh, he was big business. That's very impressive. I think we should forget about the five kings. I think we're more interested in five stars. Ooh. Follow the light of the review all the way to Apple Music and bring us five gifts. Bring it to our manger, please. Yes. (laughs) One star from each king. By the time you listen to this, the winter snowscape is probably in full effect at this point, so you'd better bundle up with some Talk Told To Me merch to stay warm. Remember, we've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got blankets, we might even have socks, I don't know. Yeah, I think we do. You can find the link for our Tee Public page nestled 
encouragingly in the show notes. Oh, star of wonder, star of might, you can fill your pants with the dynamite of <laughs> our Discord where you can hear the good word spoken by all the other Tull acolytes who join together in... In praising him. Join together in fraternity of praising the work of Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull. You'll also get two additional podcasts with that Patreon membership. Outtake Tull to me, more mome nonsense only for your ears, and Feckless, a surprise gift of unexpected content each month. Until next week, I am Third Donkey from the left, Omen Thomas Said. I am a snow-dusted hillock, Nick McGill. Be not afraid, we are feckless momes. And we are just a pair of jesters. Talk tell to me. Remember, if you wish, this is just a Christmas song. You there, boy. What, me? Uh, that is, uh, what, me, sir? What's today? Pardon? What's today, my fine fellow? Today? Well, today is Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. The spirits did it all in one night. They can do anything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. Uh, Of course they can. (laughs) Do you know the poultry shop in the next street? Yes, sir, I do. An intelligent lad. A remarkable lad. (laughs) Do you know whether the prized turkey has been sold in the window? Oh, the one twice as big as me? It's still there. Oh, it's a pleasure talking with you, lad. Go and buy it. Be serious. I am being serious. Buy it for me and I'll give you a shilling. No, I'll give you five shillings.